Section 14 of Great Men and Famous Women, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arnie Horton. Great Men and Famous Women, Volume 1, by Charles F. Horn. Section 14. Clovis the First by Thomas Wyatt, A.M., 465-511. to 511. The honor of having established the French monarchy and the French nation, of having raised himself from his position as chief of a petty and turbulent tribe to be the ruler of a powerful and permanent kingdom, unquestionably belongs to Clovis I, who was born in the year 465. The multitude of petty kingdoms subsisting in Gaul at this time forms, says an illustrious historian, one of the greatest difficulties in the ancient history of France. In a manuscript work still preserved in the King's Library at Paris, it is imputed to the disorders which prevailed after the expulsion of Childeric, father of Clovis, when such as were sufficiently powerful took advantage of the anarchy in which the nation was involved, to establish independent monarchies of their own. Clovis ascended the throne at the age of fifteen, and at an early age of twenty began to show his jealousy toward those whom he considered usurpers of his territories. His courtiers, ever ready to fan into a flame the spark they had discovered in the breast of their master, incited him to challenge Syagrius, a Roman who still had possession of Soissons and a part of the adjacent country. The challenge was accepted by this self-made prince, and a bloody battle was the result. Syagrius saved himself by flight, taking refuge among the Visigoths. But Alaric II, then king, fearing the threats of Clovis, delivered the refugee into his power who caused him to be beheaded. The Frankish leader was now a man of note in the world, but he was still nothing more than the leader of a band of warriors, often retaining his authority only by brute force. At one time his band, having stormed the Christian city of Reims, and carried off from its church a vase of marvelous size and beauty, the bishop sent word to their leader, entreating him to return it, that will I, responded Clovis to the envoy, if when we divide our spoil, the vase falls to my lot. In his desire to gratify the bishop, who was an old friend, the chieftain went a step beyond his promise, and requested his companions to give him the great vase as his share. Then cried one of their number, striking the trophy angrily with his axe, No, you shall draw lots with the rest of us, and take what comes honestly to you. His comrades, however, felt that this was going too far. The vase was given to their leader, and by him returned to Reims. A year passed, and Clovis gave no sign that he remembered the affront. Then, having called his band together for a review, he passed them one by one, examining and approving their arms, till last of all he reached the warrior who had opposed him, and he eyed this man sternly. Your weapons suit you poorly, he said. None of them are fit for service. And, snatching the man's axe from him, he threw it to the ground. 
the other stooped to recover it when whirling up his own axe clovis crashed it through the rebel's skull twas so you struck my vase he cried such a leader who could so long await a fitting opportunity and then so sternly avenge an insult to his power was well calculated to wield great authority among these stern and hardy warriors he had enjoyed several years of uninterrupted tranquillity when bassinus king of thuringia made a sudden eruption into that part of the dominions of clovis situated beyond the rhine clovis was no sooner informed of this invasion than he assembled his army and entering the enemy's country laid it waste with fire and sword and imposed a perpetual tribute on the offending monarch clovis now bent his thoughts on the formation of an alliance by marriage with some of the neighboring princes he accordingly dispatched his ambassadors to the king of burgundy asking for the hand of the princess clotildis his niece the accounts of whose extraordinary piety and beauty had made a deep impression on his heart the court of burgundy fearful of offending a young and powerful prince whose arms had hitherto been everywhere victorious complied with his request great preparations were made for the departure of the queen-elect and she began her journey in a kind of wagon called bastern drawn by oxen which was the most elegant vehicle then in use the marriage was celebrated at soissons amid the joyful acclamations of the people heaven smiled on this propitious union clotildis became mother of a prince who received baptism with the king's consent and was named ingomer the subsequent death of this child on whom clovis had so firmly set his affections inspired him notwithstanding the prayers and remonstrances of his affectionate and pious princess with an aversion to the christian religion he was prevailed on however to suffer his second son to undergo the ceremony of baptism he also was attacked by a severe indisposition but the prayers of this pious woman were heard and answered the young prince restored to health and the anxiety of his father dispelled the conversion to christianity of clovis soon after this is thus related by historians the germans had commenced preparing for incursions into the dominions of clovis he being apprised of their intentions hastened to impede their progress and met them on the plain of tolbiac not far from cologne where a bloody battle was fought clovis perceiving that the strength of his army was diminishing lifted up his eyes to heaven and exclaimed god of my queen clotildis grant me victory and i here vow to worship none other than you he immediately rallied his yielding forces again led the charge pierced with irresistible ardor the enemy's battalions and entirely put them to flight he then followed them into germany where he dispersed the remains of the vanquished army reduced to obedience a nation hitherto invincible and compelled them to pay him an annual tribute faithful to his vow he requested to be made acquainted with the mysteries of the christian religion and on christmas day four ninety six received baptism at the church of saint martin in paris from remigius bishop of rheims a prelate equally distinguished for his birth and piety 
his sister Albofleda, and about three thousand of his subjects followed his example. An improbable legend prevailed that during the ceremony of the baptism of Clovis, a dove descended from heaven, bringing a phial of balsam with which he was consecrated. This is what is now called La Sainte Ampoule, the holy vial, which was kept with extreme care and contained the oil used by the monarchs of France at their coronation. The conversion of Clovis had not repressed his warlike ambition. Brabant, the country of Liege, and that part of Flanders which was situated on the seacoast, had not yet submitted to the new conqueror of Gaul. The most considerable of these small states was the Arborici, a Christian nation firmly attached to the Christian religion, and thence maintaining an enmity against the French, who were pagans. But the recent conversion to Christianity of Clovis and so many of his subjects diminished the aversion of the people of this peaceful nation. They were induced to consent to an alliance with him, acknowledge him for their sovereign, and became subjects of the French kingdom. The Roman garrisons, following the example, capitulated and gave up all the places that were still in their possession, toward the ocean and on the banks of the Rhine. Clovis did not as yet consider his victories complete. The conquest of Brittany was soon followed by that of Alaric II, king of the Visigoths. Before the friends set out on this latter expedition, they made a vow not to shave themselves till they had subdued their enemies. Vows of this kind were very common at that period. It was the custom of those times to draw an omen from the verse that was chanting when a person entered the church. The king's envoys at their entrance into the church of St. Martin heard these words from the Psalms. Thou hast endued me with strength for the wars. Thou hast supplanted those that had risen up against me, and hast put mine enemies to flight. This fortunate prognostic was confirmed on the banks of the Vienne. The army was at a loss where to pass that river, when a hind plunged into the stream in sight of the whole camp, and showed them a ford which still retained the name of the passage of the hind. The two armies met in the plains of Wille, near Poictiers. Soon after the commencement of the battle, the monarchs of either nation, perceiving each other, rushed forward at the same instant and engaged in single combat, when the superior skill and strength of Clovis decided the victory in his favor. He dismounted his adversary and slew him on the spot. Nothing now remained to impede the progress of the conqueror, who extended his empire from the banks of the Loire to the Pyrenean Mountains. Clovis then withdrew to Paris and fixed his residence in a palace in the southern part of the capital, which had formerly been inhabited by the Emperor Julian and Valentinian I. Success had hitherto attended all the plans of Clovis, and allowing for the ferocious and martial spirit which then prevailed, he had preserved his fame from any material pollution. The assembling of the Council of Orleans was the last remarkable event of the reign of Clovis, who died the same year, A.D. 511, at the age of 45, and was buried in the church of St. Peter and St. Paul, which he had caused to be built. It has been a subject of dispute with historians 
whether the military or the political talents of this prince were the most eminent gaul subdued by his arms preserved by his prudence affords a proof that he was equally skilful in the cabinet and formidable in the field end of section fourteen